It's great to have you join us again for the online service of Kaioki Baptist. Uh, it's our privilege to be able to do this uh, weekend and uh, weekend and week out. And we are going through the Book of Romans, and so we're in the middle of chapter eight. I invite you to open your Bibles there, because we will be referring to to uh, different different verses throughout our passage. We're, we've called our series "Not Ashamed," uh, Paul. Uh, the Apostle Paul makes the statement early on in chapter 1 that he is not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, the Jew and the Gentile, and in chapter 8, um, well, I'll tell you what, before, before we, we get there, why don't we just read our passage, kind of let it resonate, and then I want to just make a comment about chapter 8 particularly. So, <clears throat> we are going to begin in verse 17 in terms of our focus, but I want to backtrack, if you'll allow me, to verse 15. Uh, that's where we'll begin to read, and, then, and we will read through verse 25. Romans 8. Verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For he who hopes, for, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Now, may it speak to us. May you speak to us as you open our eyes and give us sight and open us our ears to, to, to allow us to hear. And uh, God, open our hearts that we will be transformed to the image of your precious Son. For it is in his name, the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. One of the things that makes Romans 8 such a beloved passage is that it is, for a Christian, chock full of tremendous truths. I mean, you go back, you think about it, it starts in verse 1. 
with us being told that there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it just moves. Verse 3 and 4, Paul tells us that the reason there's no condemnation is because it was Christ Jesus who bore our sin. Um, verse 9 through 11, we read that to be in Christ is to have the Holy Spirit inside of you, dwelling inside of you. Verse 14, he elaborates and tells us that for those in Christ, the Holy Spirit leads us. And as you continue reading through the chapter, something becomes more and more evident. All of these great truths have a context. And that context is developed in the second half of the chapter and comes bursting forth. And what it is, is Paul is writing to believers who need some assurance. Or at least Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, recognizes the fact that they are going to, and perhaps already are, maybe he's heard, about some struggles that they're having. And so there are perhaps a couple of other chapters in the Bible that are near Romans 8, but I cannot think of another chapter in Scripture that is such a powerful uh, reinforcement, teaching of our assurance of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at it. In, in verse 17, the, at least the first half of, of verse 17, Paul builds on the benefits of being children or adopted by God. Notice what he says, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. What a beautiful re re realization to know that, hey, we, we are heirs of our Father. We inherit what all that belongs to Him is ours to the degree that Jesus Himself, we are, we are fellow heirs, co-heirs with Christ. And at that, Paul introduces something <laughs> that seems at best, I think, odd. And at its worst, probably, well, I'll speak autobiographically here, could be really disappointing. Um, let me illustrate kind of the, the, where, I'm, where I'm going with this. I grew up in Orlando, and I was uh, 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 10 years old when Walt Disney World opened in Orlando. And shortly after it opened, um, my parents took myself and my two brothers to see. Now, at the time, Walt Disney World was just a shell of what it is today. It was the Magic Kingdom. But it was, I had never seen anything like it. It was, um, it was just an, an amazing time, a day unlike any I'd, I'd ever known. And, and, Everything had gone well, and we're just, we keep looking, what's the next ride, where are we going next? When late in the day, my dad made the announcement, it's almost time to go home. And while I didn't scream it, my, my heart was screaming, no! 
And my countenance changed because I did not want this day to end. And reading the first 17 and a half verses of Romans 8 is kind of like that. Uh, it's, man, I've never read anything like this is This is incredible what is ours in Christ Jesus. And then right there at the end of verse 17, uh, Paul introduces a word that makes us go, why did he have to do that? And that word is suffering. Suffering. And so I, what I want us to do in, in our time is kind of get a sense of God's assurance to his children and, um, and, and what that means to have God himself assure us. And so the first thing I, w I just want to call to your attention is the fact that Scripture, i.e., you know, the Lord through his word, is honest about suffering. I mean, this, this passage is, is viscerally honest about the fact that we suffer. And that runs counter to a lot of religion, a lot of philosophies, um, who try to hide the reality of suffering. Uh, some pretend it's not, it's not really there. Others disconnect God from our suffering. Uh, they're trying to protect God. Uh, um, I, I, in my mind, I think of deism. Uh, deism says, basically, when God created the world, it was like a clockmaker who wound the, the clock up and then stepped back and just let the clock go. And that's how some, some Christians, how some faith, some, some philosophers say God's not really involved in this. It's not his deal. Uh, he kind of left us to, to our own and suffering is part of what came out of humanity. Um, still others dismantle God because he hasn't stopped the suffering. And, and the way they do that is they say, in essence, if God is there and we know suffering is real, then God must have must either not care about us or he is impotent to prevent the suffering. In other words, you can't, in, in, in this, this system of thought, God either is not all-powerful because he doesn't stop the suffering, but perhaps he's all-loving, he just can't stop it. Or he's not all-loving because if he can stop it and doesn't stop it, he, what kind of good God would do that? Christianity, however, biblical Christianity, um, looks at suffering and puts it on a wide screen and acknowledges it and addresses it. So I want us to, to take what Paul shares and teaches here and, and talk through, think through the reality of suffering. Uh, you know, when you look at verse 21 
Um, or look at verse 20. The creation was, subject, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. It's fascinating to realize that when you look at Genesis, God originally created the world to be a place of life, to be a place of flourishing. He puts the man in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Paradise. He, he, he creates out of the man's side a helper, the woman. Uh, he brings them together. And, uh, and, and everything is there to feed them. He provides for them. They lack nothing. Most importantly, they have him. He walks side by side with, with the man. Enter sin and subsequently death. Death at this point in time is foreign to all of creation. You have not read of any type of death. But with sin, death enters the picture. And what we see in, in the Bible is that suffering is the result of a world gone wrong. It is real. It is sometimes unjust. Um, it is painful. Sometimes there's no explanation for it. And the Bible doesn't seek to, to portray suffering um, any different than our experience with it. Now, thankfully, in Scripture, we, uh, we're told what suffering is and what the outcome of suffering is. So in verse 22, we read, We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. It is... It is not always at the frontal part of our brains to recognize the fact that we are not the only ones suffering in this world, but that the earth itself, creation, is suffering. And there's a word that's used to describe creation's struggle as well as our struggle. And it's the same word for both creation and and man, and that is the word groaning. Uh, that word uh, is a, in its ancient context, often was used to describe someone facing death. Um, it was often it was often the word that would be used for the sound of soldiers who were dying on the battlefield. They were, their groans of death. Um, and here, here we are groaning. 
And um, it's, a, it's not just a New Testament word. It's not a word that is, is only used to address our salvation in Christ as we prepare for what's to come. In Exodus, we read uh, as God calls Moses to himself and to go back to, to Egypt to deliver his people. Uh, here's what we read in Exodus 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cry out for help. Their cry from rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Will you just take that picture of the people of God disconnected from their God and as they cry up these death, these death throes viscerally to the Lord, they groan to him and before him and he hears them. He knows what they're experiencing. He knows what's going on, and he takes action. He sends a deliverer. In, in this case, in Exodus, Moses. But for us, a better deliverer, the ultimate deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, Scripture, we see, is so very honest about about our suffering. Let me, I, I want to mention, and I know, um, I know it seems like I might be belaboring this, but as you look at this passage back in Romans 8, um, here's what we learn about suffering. We learn suffering, sufferings are to be expected. They just are, they're part of life. We learn that sufferings, uh, our sufferings, are shared with Christ. Back to verse 17, uh, we are heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Our suffering somehow, and, and this is not only a Pauline truth, Peter writes about this, that our sufferings are shared with the Lord Jesus. Third, we learn that these sufferings prepare us for glory. End of verse 17, we, we not only read about suffering, but we read about being glorified with, with Christ. John Stott says, The reality of suffering for the believer and the reality of our future glory are married together. They are, it's, it's as if a couple that, that becomes wedded. You can't understand suffering without the sense of future glory. And you'll never understand the depth of our future glory without comprehending what we endure leading up to our future glory, i.e. Our, our suffering, our struggles. We learn forth that the, that the creation shares 
in our groaning. We, we, we saw that. Uh, it's, it's interesting, is it not, that uh, Paul uses the picture in verse 22 of the creation's groaning in the pains of childbirth until now. You know, we don't, in our, in our day, um, very rarely do we um, hear or learn of a mother who dies in childbirth. Our medical uh, and um, abilities to, to prevent that, to address it ahead of time and in the midst of it, or have become so advanced that it is it is rare now when it happens it is a tragedy but for most of the history of humanity childbirth and death for the mother were a stark reality and a woman going in to giving birth while she was hoping for the wonder of the baby being born, she was also dreading the fact that she could die. And many, many did die in childbirth. Finally, we learn that suffering and glory um, are respective of the two ages that they paint. Sufferings uh, represent this age, this present time, a time of human frailty, of, of rebellion, of, of the opposition of the worldly system that the believer faces, of the believer's own struggle with, with sin. Suffering, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Glory, on the other hand, represents what is to come. And Paul, Paul, we, Paul is go, about to get to this. The splendor of God, it's eternal, incorruptible, and it is to be revealed. Okay, so there is just a, a, a crisp honesty of Scripture as God relays and connects to his people. Suffering's real. Everybody goes through it. Different levels, different measures, but expect it, okay? Now, here is, if I can go back to Stott's illustration of suffering and glory being wed, that's exactly what we see here. The, the second thing about, uh, about God's assurance, he not only deals honestly with our suffering, but he also tells us that there is a glory that awaits. A glory that awaits. Um, verse 23, we await, I'm in the middle, even though we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. Uh, earlier in verse 21, he talks about the creation in bondage to corruption is yearning to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Something is coming our way. And P.S., 
please notice that this glory, I know I'm going backwards, this, this glory when, when held up in verse 18, Paul considers the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So they're wed together, but one is far greater. Do we suffer? Absolutely. Is there glory that awaits? Yes. Do they balance each other out? In no way. There is no comparison to the struggle, the sufferings that we endure in this life to the glory that awaits us. And part of the, at least an aspect of this glory involves the very end of verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. I tell you what, why don't, let me, let me turn, you're welcome to turn there. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the Apostle Paul is talking about the resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. And then he turns to the resurrection, our resurrection, our physical resurrection. And he writes in verse 39, for not all flesh is the same. There is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is another. All right, now he's contrasting the body of the stars, the sun, the moon. Now verse 42, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. This is us. What is sown is perishable, our flesh and blood body. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Our bodies are redeemed. What does, that, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, the Apostle John in 1 John 3 uh, tells us that we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So what do we know about the Lord Jesus? In his resurrection body, he, it was a body, right? And, uh, and it was his body and we shall be, our bodies will be like his that doesn't mean that we're going to look just like Jesus. It means that our bodies will, A, be of the substance of his, and that just as his body is his body, our bodies will be our bodies. They will be, you will be recognizable in the resurrection as you. Just as initially when Jesus was resurrected, the disciples weren't sure it was him, but then they noticed, remember Thomas noticed this, the, 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 the holes where the nails were driven through his hands. It is Jesus. And so there are going to be things about our resurrected bodies, these um, bodies that, that Paul references back in, back in our passage in, in chapter 8 as, um, as redeemed 
bodies um, will be our bodies, only they will be glorious bodies, which they will be beautiful bodies. 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul um, writes that, speaking of what happens at the resurrection, this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. They are going to be glorious bodies, beautiful bodies. Um, they, were, they were sown perishable. They will be raised imperishable. They were sown in dishonored. They will be raised in glory. So whatever our redeemed bodies are, they will be our bodies. If you're wondering what happens at the second coming of Jesus Christ, the dead in Christ arise, and, and then those who await, Paul writes the Thessalonians, will be caught up with them and we will all be changed and we will receive these, these bodies, these redeemed bodies. They're our bodies. They're glorious bodies. And... Um, they will be different, even though they're ours, they will be different than ours. But they will be amazing because they are like Jesus. They are resurrected bodies. So God is honest about our suffering. He connects and says, as bad as the suffering is, there is a glory that awaits and finally, um, he is our hope. He is our hope. Verse, verse um, if I can make my way back there, verse 24, back in Romans 8, for in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Well, how is there any hope for the child of God? It is God himself. If God is not, then our hope is not. Our hope ultimately is as true and is as solid as God is true. And God is solid. And Paul, again, is just being very frank with us and saying... You don't hope for what you see, you hope for what you don't see. And so as you suffer, you don't see fully the glory that awaits you, it is your hope. And that hope is as assured as God is real. He is ultimately our assurance. We're going to dig back into this next time because uh, he continues to talk throughout the rest of the chapter about our great assurance. But understand that assurance is wedded to our present day suffering. You don't suffer in vain. It is connected to the glory that awaits. And you can be as confident that it is real as your hope in God is. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, um, not leaving us as orphans, not um, 
brushing us aside and allowing us to languish in our, in our suffering, in our pain, in our struggle. But you give us your Holy Spirit and he leads us and guides us and he assures us that in Christ our sufferings are not in vain and there is a better glory coming and that we can be confident in that glory because it is grounded in you, our Heavenly Father. Bless these that have stayed with us. We, um, we ask that you will draw them to yourself, many of whom perhaps are going through a struggle that seems like nobody's there, nobody cares. May you give them the assurance that you not only know and see, but Father, in Christ, you are with them. So it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well.